Great to see you. Want to continue to celebrate the things that Dan's been celebrating. Made so many good things going on. Our, our theme today, uh, we're attributing to God, but I'd like to encourage some people. It's, it's you can count on me. It's always a cool thing when you meet someone who you can actually count on. And to pull off everything going on in this church right now, men's ministry, uh, women's ministry, we have small group leaders leading groups every week, Sunday school teachers, children's ministry. It's incredible, but it takes people that you can count on. And we have so many of those people. And I just thank you for that because that's really unusual in the day that we live. It's hard to find people you can count on. You see, we, we live in an age where if life gets hard or marriage gets hard or work gets hard, we just immediately bail. And, and so today we have an epidemic of divorces, people leaving churches, people leaving jobs, because we don't stick to it. And as we get back to our passage today, you know, Moses is being called upon by God to lead his people. But Moses wants to know, God, can I count on you? I mean, if I, I stick my neck out here, what are you like? Will you go with me? And that's where we get this incredible passage. I, I've told you every week, it's the most quoted verses in the Bible by the Bible. Exodus 34, 6 and 7, God explains who he is. Will you stand for this reading from God's word? And God passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sins of their parents, to the third and fourth generation. You may be seated. We will get to that last difficult line next week. But today, we get to two words in the passage. He, he describes himself as being abounding in love and actually abounding in faithfulness. And these are some really powerful words. I, I don't know much Hebrew or how to pronounce much Hebrew. But the word here for love is the word hesed. And it's, it's, a, it's a very broad word. And, and the truth is, guys, we don't really have anything in English that's sufficient to explain it. And, and so as we look at these two qualities, when we come to this abounding love, a lot of translations say unfailing love. I love as Jeremy prayed about that earlier. You sang about it earlier. Some translations say steadfast love. And guys, if you notice, it, it's repeated. He says in verse 7, maintaining love to thousands. Remember what we said earlier? Anytime something's repeated, it's a big deal. This hesed love is a big, big deal. And then it's com combined, these two words are combined, that um, faithful love. And then when we talk about God's faithfulness, really it's talking about his reliability, all right? The word there for faithful actually means um, truth. It's, it's the word we get amen from. When, when does someone say amen? You say amen when something strikes you is so true that you have to say something. 
Obviously, I've not said anything yet that made you get to that point, okay? Oh, thank you. Heard a preacher say the other day, uh, every time he has to ask for an amen, it extends the sermon five minutes, okay? So, so, so let's, let's go with that one tonight, all right, this morning. But I love this word because it's about God being true. It's about God being reliable. And here's the cool thing. These two Hebrew words in the original are smashed together. To communicate something, neither could communicate on their own. In other words, they define each other. His love is his faithfulness. His faithfulness is his love. You see, our problem, my problem, is when I read this passage, I think of our definition of love. And our definition of love would say, you know, God's got some warm feelings toward me. God sort of likes me a little bit. Well, that's true. We talked about that a couple weeks. Compassion was that feeling word. This is not a feeling word. This is a promise, faithful, loyalty word. And so um, today, as we think about this, what we're going to be thinking about is God is faithful to the bitter end, no matter what the cost. And guys, this is a really popular combination of words through the Bible. In fact, 162 times in your Bible, it can combine this love and faithfulness, smash them together, and say something really important. Let me, let me give you one example. Psalms 89. The psalmist says, I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. There's our word. With my mouth, I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. God is loving, faithful. You can count on him. What's the response? You praise him. I will declare that your love stands firm forever, that you've established your faithfulness in heaven itself. Guys, in just a few moments, we're going to take a break and take communion, and we're going to sing through that. And and if we really believe what I'm preaching today, we will just burst out in praise to God. If you believe that God is a God you can count on, that no matter what anybody else does, you can lean on him, you'll praise him. Now, the truth about this, guys, is the language we're talking about here is covenant language. Now, now we don't use the word covenant, so we're sort of at a disadvantage here. You know, like when President Biden visited the Ukraine last week, uh, the news didn't say President Biden and Zelensky signed a covenant. That, that's not one of our words. We might say they had an agreement, they made a promise to each other, but not a covenant. And covenant is so much stronger than just an agreement. Now, the closest thing we can get to this in our culture is actually old-fashioned marriage vows, okay? So when Stephanie and I got married years ago, like most of you, I was told to repeat, I, buddy, take thee, Stephanie, to be my lawful wedded wife, promising before others that I'll be a faithful, loving, and devoted husband, keeping myself for her and for her alone. And then I repeated these words, I take thee to be my wedded wife. Now listen, this is not a feeling thing. To have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, that's pretty strong, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish. And here's the final words, till death do us part. That's a covenant. It's saying, I'm going to be true to you, loyal to you on the days I feel like it and the days I don't feel like it. Even with marriage, many people won't use those vows anymore. Even there's a little trick some people use on the end. Instead of saying, till death do us part, they'll say, till love's death do us part. Hey, guys, this is the kind of language 
that we're talking about that God is making toward us. In fact, in ancient days, you would call it a covenant. And guys, let me just stop on marriage just for a moment there. Guys, for most people, I'm just going to tell you, if you don't have that kind of covenant commitment in your marriage, it's probably not going to make it. I can remember when Stephanie and I, we, we struggled early in our marriage. We remember, I remember going to counselor, and this has stuck with me for years. He said, most marriages don't get good until about eight years. Some of you, that's not very encouraging, all right? But, but we do know about, we do talk in our culture about the seven-year itch. And guys, it's sort of in that seventh and eighth year that you really come to a decision. I, I like what John Mark Comer, who I'm using a lot of for this series, he said about this. He said, here's his theory. You either make a decision to accept your spouse at seven years for who God made them, or you get a divorce. Either you decide to accept each other, or you get a divorce. Now, here's the problem. When you don't have that kind of covenant love in your marriage, you're going to bail out before you get to the good part. And so many people are are so quick in today to bail out on things before they really get to where it's good and where it's healthy. So look at what a covenant's defined as. Here's, here's the definition. It's a promise and legal contract between two parties with clearly defined blessing and curses for keeping or breaking. In other words, not only do you promise this to each other, but you say, if I don't keep my end of the bargain, there's some curses. If I do, there's some blessings. Now, here, here's what I want you to see this morning. This is so crazy cool. In, in ancient days... The way you made a covenant, uh, we, we talk about you cutting a covenant. Here's what it meant. What, what they'd do is they would go and they would get animals, and they would split them in half, and they would put them with a, an aisle down the middle with the animals dead and split in half. And when you made the covenant, you had to walk through those animals. You say, that is really weird. It is. But why did you do it? Because the promise of the covenant is if I don't keep my covenant, may I be like these dead animals, all right? So Al and Candy, I'm doing Lucy's wedding in a couple weeks, a few weeks, you know. I've talked to the Henrys. They're going to bring some big cows in here. We're going to split them down the middle, you know, and walk. Can you imagine that? And yet that's how serious they took a covenant. And that's what God is promising to us. In fact, let's, let's look at one of these scenes, okay? First of all, we're going to Abraham, and that's where God makes his first covenant. Um, Genesis chapter 12, here's what God says to Abraham. I'll make you a great nation, and I'll bless you. I'll make your name great, and you'll be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I'll curse. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So God picks this nomad who doesn't know him, and says, I want to use you. And he goes, remember this for the end of the message. Here's the way God wants to work in the world. God will bless his people. Here, it's Abraham. And Abraham is to be a blessing to the world. And so when it came to Israel, God's plan was not to have this little country over in this corner and to forget everybody else. The plan was God would bless his chosen people, and his chosen people would bless the entire world. And when it comes to you and I, it's not for us to have our little bitty church over in the corner. It's for God to bless us so we bless the entire world. Now, 
God makes this covenant with Abraham. You're going to have all this land, and I'm going to give you a baby so that you will be carried out, and your, your um, descendants will be like the stars. Well, guys, by the time we get to Genesis 15, Abraham's having some problems. He's not so sure he can count on God. You see, um, him and Sarah are getting old. They've always had fertility issues, and now they've joined AARP, and they've been kicked out of the young marriage Sunday school class, and, and they're like, God, what are you, you going to do? God, are you going to come through? And God says, okay, we're going to make a covenant. And just, just watch with me. This is fascinating. John, Genesis chapter 15. Abraham's complaining. Abraham said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I'll gain possession of it? The Lord said to him, here we go, bring a heifer, a goat, a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abraham brought all of them to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. The birds of prey came down the carcasses, but Abraham drove them away. It's like today we cut something in Alabama, we got all these gnats coming. And Abraham has to drive them away. And then what happens? God causes Abraham to, to see a vision. Down in verse 17, when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. To your descendants, I will give this land. God says, I want you to know you can count on me. And so God says, we're going to make this covenant. Now, God is represented by the smoldering fire pot pot with the torch. And so here we go. We got these animals and God comes down the middle to make the covenant. Now stay with me real quick, guys. What's missing? Or, Or maybe a better question here, who's missing? Here's the crazy thing about this story. God makes the covenant, but Abraham never walks down the middle. And as we study today, you're going to find out this is extremely significant. What's missing is this seems to be a one-sided covenant. And here's what's happening. God took upon himself the full weight, blessing, and curses of the covenant. God decided, listen closely, he would rather be cut apart like a dead animal than break his oath. Man, what a, what a promise. You guys, you keep reading. Um, you know, Abraham doesn't have a luxury life. You know, he, he doesn't retire with a bunch of money in a condo in Jordan, you know. I mean, his life's pretty tough. He struggles even to tell the truth a lot. And, and you read God's covenant with the people of Israel. Guys, I'm reading through the Old Testament right now. Hardly ever are they faithful. I mean, the, the, the scriptures, they're faithful, are few and far between. But this is what God's saying. I'm going to be faithful even when you're not. And that's why during tough times, they would go back and they would quote our passage from Exodus 34. Remember we studied the book of Nehemiah this summer? In Nehemiah chapter 9, when most of the people were still back in Babylon, and they're trying to rebuild this wall and broken down Jerusalem, and nothing looks good, here's what they quote. They quote Genesis, I mean, Exodus 34. But you're 
a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. Therefore, you did not desert them. It may look like God deserted you, but he hadn't. They needed to hear that. And you may need to hear that this morning. Because you may be sitting here thinking, okay, buddy, this is really cool. This is, this is nice preaching material. But if God is really that good and God is really that faithful, then why am I in an unhappy marriage? And why am I 40 years old and still single? And why do I find myself with infertility issues? And why do I have this chronic illness if God's so good? Why did I get fired from my dream job? Why am I treated differently because nothing else but the color of my skin? Why did my best friend sleep with my fiance? Why am I upside down on my mortgage and inflation has allowed me not to hardly pay my bills? Why am I having these struggles with my children? They're breaking my heart. Why, despite the fact of trying to get better, I I still deal with so much anxiety in my life? Well, I want you to see two things about this covenant that will help you. First of all, this covenant involves a smoldering pot, okay? What what, what was that for? That was for refining metal, gold. Because the covenant God made with Abraham, Israel, us, is not a promise of ease. It, It actually involves a smoldering pot. Listen to a couple of passages. Isaiah 48 See, I've refined you through the um, furnace of affliction. God, so you may feel it right now. God's putting you through the furnace. And let me, here's what I want you to know. It's, it's not for nothing. It, it, it's to refine you. The New Testament says your faith is refined by fire. You see, understand this. If not, you're going to have a hard time being a Christian. God is more concerned with the maturity of your character than he is with your happiness. You see, we've decided happiness is the biggest thing. That's why we break our covenants. I've had too many people come to me and say, I'm about to divorce my wife. Well, why would you do that? You know God doesn't want that. And they'll say something lame like this. But I do know God wants me to be happy. Well, God does in the long run. But in the short run, what God wants more than anything is he wants you to be mature. He wants your character to be formed. And we see that in the New Testament. One of our favorite chapters has got to be Romans 8. Just flip through some of that with me just for a moment. Romans 8, verse 18, he tells them, it's going to be tough. Uh, Paul says, I consider our present sufferings. Because this world involves sufferings. He says, they're not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. Guys, there will be a day when Jesus comes back, when everything's made right, and there'll be no more suffering. But in the meantime, God's using that. That's why we love Romans 8, 28, let me read it. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Now, please make sure you don't misinterpret this verse. Did God say here, I cause everything? Nope. Did God say here, every choice you've made has been right? Nope. Does God say you're going to have a life of ease? Nope. What does he say? God says, here's, here's even better. I can take the good, the bad. I can take your good choices, your bad choices. I can take the attacks of Satan. I can take the trials of life. And I can bring them all together to make good 
Now, what is that good? Listen to the next verse. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. What's the purpose of this smoldering pot, this furnace? It's for us to be refined into the image of God. If you allow God to take what you're going through right now and and you remain faithful in the midst of this, you're going to come out on the other side. This is so cool, more like Jesus. In fact, if you study this, this furnace idea, when a goldsmith was firing up the gold to take the impurities out, he would know the impurities were gone when he could see the reflection of his face in the gold. And that's what God does. God takes us through tough times. Some he may call, some you may call, some the devil may call. But God takes you through tough times so in the long run he can see his son's reflection in you. So this covenant involves a smoldering pot. But here's here's what I want you to really see this morning. This covenant involves a death sentence. When God is the only one to walk through the animals, when God's the only one to say, I'll bear the brunt of this covenant, what God's saying is, if the covenant is not kept, I'll take the curse of death on me. Now, sometimes we we read the Old Testament, we think there's not good news in the Old Testament. My friends, Genesis 15 is where the gospel is first being preached. Because God has set up something in this crazy covenant that says, I'll take the punishment. Let me read some quotations from John Mark Comer. On the cross, Jesus takes all our failure, all of our broken promises, drags it to the cross, absorbing it in his death, and then breaking death's hold over humanity by his resurrection. You hear that? You've broken any promises, you made some bad mistakes, you sinned, well, all of us. On the cross, Jesus says, when I'm the only one who walked through the covenant cutting, I promise to take it on myself. Yahweh made a promise, and he's faithful to the point of death, and he's still not done yet. We can know from this that God keeps his promises, and when Jesus returns, they'll all be fulfilled. Well, I love this. I hope you see this. It, it could all be summed up in an incredible verse in 1 Timothy chapter 2. If we are faithless, he will remain faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Guys, I hope you get this. I hope I get this. We sing a song about it. Matt Redmond's song, never once did we ever walk alone. Never once did you leave us on our own. Here we go. You are faithful. God, you are faithful. You see, God is faithful even when you and I are faithless. And so we come now to our moment of communion. And this is going to be a time of communion and praise like every Sunday. And during this time, my challenge to you is to meditate on moments in your life where God was faithful when you weren't. And I, I got a 
panoramic view of all the moments in my life when I wasn't up to snuff and who I should be and wasn't being faithful and yet I can see through all of that in retrospect that God was faithful. And, and so this morning as you partake of the bread and the cup where, where, where Jesus absorbed your broken promises, absorbed your unfaithfulness, paid the price, meditate on God's faithfulness. I'm not telling you to focus on where you messed up, but it's in the context of where you were faithless that you can recognize the faithfulness of God. And so as you partake of this, would you meditate on that? We've got tables spread out across the worship center where you can get communion. You can take it by yourself and meditate or, or maybe discuss this with someone today. you got a question. When was God faithful when you weren't faithful? And then the more you think about this, nobody's going to have to ask you to do this. It's just going to happen. If we believe in the God who walked through the dead animals by himself, we're not going to be able to help but praise him. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for this crazy old story. And God, above all, we thank you for its fulfillment in Jesus. That because you made the vows and you took it all upon yourself, your son had to pay the price. And we are the beneficiaries. God, we confess to you so often we have been faithless, but we also confess the same word, that you are always faithful. Help us to meditate on that and help us to celebrate that right now. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So let's finish out. Our first statement had an exclamation part at the end of it. I think you can see that. You can count on God. The question mark today is, can God count on you? Can God count on me? Remember we said at the beginning, God's plan has always been for him to pour out his blessing on his people and for his people to bless the world, to bless the nations. And God is his people today. What what God desires from us, he knows we're not going to be perfect. But he wants us to accept these blessings, but not be a dead end, but to be a conduit for them to go to somebody else. You say, well, Israel couldn't do it, and Abraham didn't do so well. Why can we do better? Let me tell you guys, the Bible says that we are under a new covenant based on better promises. When you took of the juice a few moments ago, that's called the blood of the covenant of Jesus. And in this new covenant, we have things they didn't have. We've got this incredible motivation of love, not just keeping laws, but knowing that a God took it for us on the cross, man, we should be motivated out of our minds. We also have the model of Jesus to go, this is what it looks to be faithful. We've been indwelled by the Holy Spirit, a power that resurrected Jesus from the dead, and we've been given each other to sharpen each other to be more like Jesus. So here was the desire of God. Even when he gave these words back to, to Moses, he wants us to image, image himself. We are to image God. Remember at the beginning, we were created in the image of God. 
It was always God's plan for us to be his ambassadors on this earth, for his blessings to flow to the earth through us. And so, guys, let's, let's just, we hadn't really stopped so far in this series to think about this point. But look at this description of God, the God of compassion and mercy. Does that describe you and me? He's slow to anger. Remember we talked about that last week? Does that mean you? And this week, this is the crazy one, filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. You see, here's the challenge for us is motivated out of our mind from what Jesus has done for us, we become faithful to him. Because I'm blessed because I'm in a position in this church where I get to see these things all the time. I don't know if you've heard this yet today. And if you haven't, I, I, I really hate to be the first to, to give you this news. But our dear brother Erwin Smith was murdered Thursday night in our city. Erwin's been off and on in this church for 24 years. Him and his best buddy Willie came to this church as drug addicts. <laughs> we didn't really know what we're doing. We put them up in an apartment together. Landmark ran a a drug house for a while, okay? <laughs> and finally we go, uh, this isn't working. So we go to Ed Bice and say, how do, you, how do you help people? And that's where RSVP was birthed. Erwin was in that first night of four or five people. And guys, if you've traveled with Erwin over the last 24 years, his life has been an up and down roller coaster And I would say over the last year, some things have really gotten good. I mean, Erwin would be sitting right back there about where, close to where John Blanchard is right now. And I miss that hug. Erwin's one of the sweetest people I knew. And, you know, things were looking up. Erwin was living in his mom's house, a bad area of town. He would talk about how dangerous it was. He was about to go get his license. One of our members was about to give him a vehicle. And guys, let me just say, I've witnessed the faithfulness of God's people in Erwin Smith's life. If any of you were back here when Mark and Jackie Loudermilk were here, they were incredible. Those guys laid their life down for Erwin Smith. And then all the people in RSVP. And then over the last couple of years, and they're here with us today, and heartbroken like we all are. Jim and Jill Sanderson. Jim and Jill live in Pike Road, dudes. They're riding all the way to West Montgomery almost every Sunday to pick Irwin up. A couple weeks in Sunday school and Al Crosby's teaching, Irwin raises his hand and I'm so thankful for this moment because he just shared what this church admit to him. And guys, I say that because we've got so many examples among us of people that are faithful Guys, RSVP ministry is the hardest ministry in this church. Ministering to Erwin Smith and all his ups and downs is not easy. But it's so worth it. Because today, Erwin Smith is drug-free. Erwin Smith is completely healthy. And he lives in a neighborhood of complete safety. Amen. 
So here's my question for us in light of what we studied. Where is God calling you to be faithful? Faithfulness is like, you know, disco. You know, it used to be in style, but now hardly anybody does it. You know what I'm saying? The average marriage lasts eight years in America. Average person stays in a job four years. And that's why Friday night was so significant that we honored a man who had been a shepherd of this church for 36 years. That's faithfulness. And guys, today I'm challenging you. Who's going to be the next Don Rhodes in this church? Most of us are too selfish. We want to do our own thing. We don't want to be in those meetings. We don't want to be meeting with people, ministering to people. I want to go do, we need those people. I ask you in your life, where are you going to be the person who's faithful? What are the implications for your life? Guys, see, guys, we, we, we want a microwave life. We want an Amazon Prime next day delivery life. And let me just tell you guys, spiritual growth doesn't happen that way. Hardly anything good in life happens quickly. Marriages don't. It takes longer than six or eight years. Careers, most people don't get good in their careers to at least 10 years. It doesn't happen quickly. And so what we've got to do is we've got to be faithful. And I want to ask you, what are the implications of your response to God? In, in some of the, uh, how about in your marriage? Maybe you're in a difficult marriage right now. Maybe you're the difficult one or both of you are. I don't know. But it's hard. Maybe you're in a difficult career. But are you going to be the one faithful? Maybe you're discouraged by things in our city, but we decided we're going to be the folks to stick it out and be faithful and stop complaining and make for real change. Or maybe you're discouraged at church right now and, you know, just it'd be so easy just to get up and go. My friends, what we need is faithful people. Maybe there's a friendship right now that you're in that's damaged, damaged. And, and you've got to be the one to say, man, we've been friends too long. You can count on me. See, in just a moment, we're going to open this front row up. And if you'd like us to pray about one of those areas, just come up and say, I'm struggling right now to, to stick it out at work. I'm, I'm struggling to stick it out in my marriage. I'm struggling to stick with my kids right now. I'm struggling to just be a good neighbor. And we'll pray for you. Or maybe today, man... You've been so touched by this God who walks down the covenant aisle by himself without you and me that you want to surrender. How could you not? My friend, if you understand this message today, if I understand this message today, you can't be lukewarm about Jesus. Today would be the day that you're going to be baptized and say, I'm surrendering, I'm dying to the old self, I'm resurrecting to a new person. You see, do you need to do that today? Here's what I want to say to you. We serve a faithful God who yearns to one day say to each of us, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what he wants to say. Guys, you say, well, buddy, ah, man, last week you talked about a God who is slow to anger. You actually talked about a God in Romans chapter 1 when we just keep rebelling and rebelling and rebelling, who finally gives us over to our sins? How do you put that together with this unfailing 
God in his love. Because I, I can sum it up with these words. I got a sign someone gave me. I can't remember who gave it to me. Probably 30 years ago in my office. And I look at it quite regularly. And here's what it says. If you don't feel close to God, guess who moved? And my friends, the promise of this lesson today is God is not gone anywhere. He's never withdrawn his love from you. He is there for you. And if this morning you feel distant from him, you're the one that's moved away. He's still right where he's always been. He made an everlasting covenant with all the curses and promises on him. And so today, if you need to come back to him, if we can pray for you. Today's the day you want to surrender your life to him. Come right now while we stand and sing.